Oh, 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 the French are in the final. They have gotten past Morocco. Uh, two goals to nil. This is Mornings with Ian Smith, live from Flair Bar at Sky City in Auckland. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Ricardo Paul in for Smithy. And alongside me is Chris Milicic, former New Zealand under-20s coach. Uh, how you doing, Millie? I'm doing good. Uh, mate, that game, boy, uh, there was some great football played, but most of it, to be fair, was played by the Moroccans. It was interesting at the end of the game when you see the Morocco had 51% possession. Well, 61. In the game. 61, yeah. and also the shots were equal, 14 to 13. So well, that's the sort of thing where you realise that the Moroccans have uh, really had a really good go at this game, and, and we'll discuss it further, but uh, I think the key it came down to one or two times with the Moroccan players in and around the penalty area it's like pull the trigger mate pull the trigger yeah well there was there was definitely a move later in the game uh, it was still 1-0 at the time he's cut inside he's had probably two maybe even three opportunities to pull the trigger he's trying to set himself up for a perfect strike and eventually the French were able to smother it so you the difference was you know the French players are prepared to Mbappe's both goals have come from a, a mishit shot that's kind of cannoned into someone and dropped somewhere so you've got to take a risk and and who knows what will happen. And, you know, balls through legs, cannon off shins, whatever. Uh, it's very difficult to score goals at this level. And if you're not prepared to take your opportunities, you'll you'll be left wanting. You will be. Uh, it does mean, of course, that it sets up France versus Argentina Monday morning. Uh, that's uh, it's a pretty tasty-looking World Cup final. You've got Messi, probably his last World Cup. Mbappe, this is his second. But, uh, you know, we were talking to Jacob Spoonley yesterday. He said if that happened, it, it feels like a passing of the torch type moment. Yeah, but I'm not 100% sure that Mbappe's in the same echelon and will get into the same echelon as, as Messi. Um, I think this is a unique opportunity for Lionel Messi to almost rubber stamp his career. Uh, and I think that the French side have got to play significantly better than they have today to achieve that. Because yeah. I think the channels they open up, and especially on the outside and the inside channels of both fullbacks, that's where Lionel Messi is at his most dangerous. And, and that's something, you know, I mean, France coming into this World Cup had a lot of injuries, right? We've talked about about some of those. I mean, Benjamin Pavard, the, the first choice right back from Bayern's not there. Uh, no Paul Pogba, no N'Golo Kante, no um, Benzema, no Christopher Nkunku. You know, there's some really good players that aren't at this World Cup for France. And maybe we're starting to see that in the depth because the guy they have playing right back now, Jules Koundé, play centre-back for Sevilla, so he's not really a right-back. And, and you could certainly see it today. A lot of the positioning by him and Hernandez on the other side uh, was not quite right. They were able to get caught inside, and there was a period of 20-25 minutes when Morocco were really in, into the game, and it was mainly coming success from the bad positioning and the poor turning of both fullbacks for the French side. Um, and I think France could be really grateful today for the two centre-backs they had playing who were both quite outstanding in clearing crossing and blocking stuff. Um, but it does show you at this as you get higher and higher up the, the, the pecking order of playing these games, you need experts in their position who know exactly where they're standing and can read the situation and, and fix it up. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about uh, the left-back, uh, Teo Hernandez. I mean, he tends to play more as a, a wing-back at AC Milan. His brother, Lucas Hernandez, was the first-choice fullback coming into the competition, got injured in the first game. So, you know, once again, it's another player that's missing for the French that just shows you their depth, though. They've gotten all this way without those players. Well, yeah, the French depth. The French depth has been around for a long time now, you know, probably the last 15, 20 years. They really worked really hard to develop it. Thierry Henry was probably that in that first group that comes through and they started to do really, really well. Um, and But they've got through today, and I think against another team, like a Morocco had had a Giroud-type player up front, we'd be maybe talking at a different level, but the reality is the French squad, when you look at it in depth, has depth in all positions and capability. To win the next game is going to require the best of the best. Mm. And I, It felt like a little bit, uh, particularly in the second half, the French maybe lacked a bit of leadership on the field and maybe lacked a little bit of direction. Yeah, I think that would be a fair comment. I mean, my personal opinion, I think Griezmann was the outstanding French player of the day. Um, and he's not really a leader. He's a, he's a really good player and he gets around. and he's. But when you've got him picking up balls at the edge of their 18-yard box and clearing stuff, you go, OK, this is not where we need Griezmann. We need Griezmann further up the field. Um, and so 
I always think there's a there's a byproduct or there's another thing that happens if your goalkeeper is actually your captain. He's not actually in the middle of the field mm. controlling stuff. So he could be as much as 60 metres away and things are happening and he can't say much. He can only say when it's in his, his range because it's so noisy in these stadiums. He can't get his message out because it's too fast. It's not like he can run up next to the centre mid and go, we need to keep it tight, we need to close up. He, he can't do that. So, um, And I've often wondered why you would make a goalkeeper your captain for no other reason is they're not actually involved in the play uh, 95% of the time. Yeah, well, and that's another piece actually that's missing today because you know a lot of people uh, have negative things to say about Adrian Rabiot uh, because he's so inconsistent and can be very hot-headed been great this tournament for France in the place of a Pogba, in yep. the place of a Kante uh, and he has been that leader in the midfield and the guy that can put a lid on things and is happy to talk to the referee and is quite vocal, not there today and, and, and it was noticeable. I think it was noticeable, you saw uh, there were times, you know I'm not 100% sure that a Mbappe would just be walking as much as we saw today if you've got a bit of a real driver in the middle going hey get in here just block the passes don't allow that ball because there were a lot of balls getting played that one of the key things from a footballer if the ball's in the middle of the pitch you don't want anything going inside you it goes around you that's fine but anything inside you is penetration through your blocks and then they're, they're trouble and and I often think you need that midfield leader who just drags people in because the, the more narrow you can make yourself the more difficult you are to play through and and I, and I often got the feeling today that France believed they were going to win. It sort of struck me there was there was not a lot of fear about, you know, oh, we could lose. And, you know, there were times when you thought, oh, go, give it, a, and just didn't happen. So that comes down to leadership and drive. Uh, you know, you, you look at the, the centre mids they've had over the years, and that just wouldn't happen under Petit and those sorts of guys. No, no, 100% wouldn't happen. Uh, and interesting, too, with Deschamps on the sideline that it's happened under him because he was very much that sort of player. Yeah. Yeah, he very much was. Yeah, now Mbappe, uh, it's worth a conversation because there is no doubt the kid's got talent, right? He's 23, um, he's fast, uh, great with the ball at his feet. But, you know, you said it, you don't know that he'll get to that echelon of Messi. But is, that's all to do with what's between the ears, right? Because attitude is a big thing. And today, you mentioned it, uh, he didn't do any work off the ball. He looked, I don't want to use the term lazy, but he, he, he really looked lackadaisical at times. Yeah, look, people talk about Messi, and Messi's in the game, and at times he's walking. But I think when he's walking in a game, his scanning's at a very high level, he's looking at what's happened, and then he executed. Uh, so he might come inside, he might go outside. He, he changes what's happened by what's watching. And I remember there was a very famous quote by Johan Cruyff when Messi was quite young, and he said, he's a hell of a player, it was 18, 19, I think he was, hell of a player, might have been 20. Anyway, and he said, when he learns to pass and do the right things, he's going to be a hell of a player. So I think for a lot of young players who are physically adept like Mbappe, he's going to have to be far more impact in the game in the little things. Now, look, he's created both goals through bursting and one-twos and shots and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, hats off to him. But I think there are times when he's got to do more to become a more dangerous. Because one thing about when Messi's on the pitch, you can never ignore him. I think there are times when Mbappe, the defence, can almost ignore him because he's actually not in the right blade of grass. So he's now on a, a level now where he now needs to step up and be better, prove he's better. And I'm not sure he's got the weather all to decide that he wants to be the greatest footballer that we've, the world's ever seen. And that's a challenge for him. Um, but in saying that, he is still one hell of a player. Mm, yeah, very good player, very good player. It's just whether he can, he can push through into that next level, as you mentioned. We should talk about Morocco as well. Uh, Hakimi, Ziak, again, their midfield, very good, but they were carrying a few players. They had injuries. Roman Seiss at the back has been so important for them. I mean, he only lasted 20 minutes. Mm. They had to go to a back four. Uh, how much of an effect do you think that had? Well, I, I do think it had an effect, but I think the biggest effect against Morocco was their whole plan went out a window in the fifth minute when the French scored. Um, but I think if we're talking about Morocco, what they have done is outstanding. Uh, they've taken players that the world didn't know about. They've turned them into players that have made the semi-finals of the World Cup. They could still come third in the World Cup with the 3-4 playoff. Um, they play in a style of football that suits them. They're unapologetic about that. It's like, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to play 5-4-1 and we're just going to get you on the counter. Where, but you, you said it whilst well, the game was on. That, that was the first time from open play Morocco conceded a goal in this tournament. The, the other one was an OG. And so you go... 
wow, that requires great coaching, a team totally buying into what the coach and plan is, and being prepared to execute it. And they've gone into an area in which no African nation has ever gone, or and no a team that's Arab, I know Morocco sits between the two, but neither of those confederations have had a team go that deep. And I think when you're talking about a football sense, uh, it's it's an amazing achievement by a bunch of players that believe in what they're doing. And the fact that so those players that play in France have elected to play for Morocco and not France, even though they've been born, one of them has been born in Paris, so they have every right to play for France, uh, shows me that they've got, they've got something there that I think could... I'd love to see it explode into something bigger in four years. But like we've seen loads of times, teams do really well. And that was a bit of the surprise of Croatia. Teams do really well at a World Cup, and then the next World Cup, they kind of nowhere to be seen. So the challenge now is for Morocco, can they exploit this and be better in four years to even go one step further? Mm, yeah, that's going to be uh, interesting. I mean, Ziyech will still be around. He'll be 33, I think. Mm. Hakimi will still be around. He'll be in his late 20s. You know, um, some of those really important players should still be there for, uh, I was going to say for Atletico Madrid, I'm thinking about Bono, the goalkeeper, yeah. you know, uh, who's at Atletico. He, he should still be around as well. So they can grow on this, uh, which, is, which is going to be huge. And I, I, I too look at the impact this might have on other African nations, particularly North Africa. I mean, Algeria weren't far away from being at this World Cup. They lost a playoff to Cameroon. You've got to think the Tunisians aren't too far away. They've got some very good play. Well, they, I mean, they were at this World Cup. I mean, that part of Egypt, they lost a playoff as well. You know, that part of North Africa is looking very strong at the moment. Yeah, well, there's been a tremendous amount of investment in the development of structures of players. And, of course, the development structure of players gives you a pipeline. Once you've got a pipeline and they're into Europe, you get better players. And once you get better players, you get the opportunity to go on. I mean... Mo Salah is playing up front for Egypt. I mean, he's you know he's a top goal scorer. He's been very, very good for a long period of time. Now, the key is, can you get two or three of those type players and then your team becomes more than competitive? Yeah, that's what we want to see. Uh, I want to see more of it, growth of the global game. Uh, this is SENZ Mornings Live from the Flare Bar at Sky City, Auckland, Ricardo Ball, Chris Milicic with you. Uh, when we come back, we'll get to the latest in news and sport with Aroha. Uh, the captaincy comes with an increased workload on and off the field, and at this stage of my career, I feel the time is right for this decision. Ricardo? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Interesting one for me that uh, Kane has gone from the test team. Um, Millie, I know we got you on to talk football, but um, for me, I mean, the less of, least effective format in Kane Williamson's repertoire now is T20. I would have preferred to see him relinquish that and carry on as test captain. I think it's where he's strongest. Yeah, look, I think for a player that's reaching, you know, early 30s, they're looking at uh, there's eventually going to be time when it's over. Uh, and it happens in football a lot, so we'll talk about f- from a football sense, but they start to cash in and they need to free time up to do other things. They need to get sponsorship going. He might have a business going. There's other things they need to do to ensure that once that's over, they can still maintain uh, a level of income. So it doesn't surprise me, uh, but yeah. That he probably thought about this long and hard and decided that's what he wants to do. Mm, yeah, and the other one is uh, Tim Southey being named captain because in the past when Kane has not been able to lead the test side, so Tom Latham's done the job. So the fact they haven't just given it to Tom Latham, is that a seniority thing, do you think? Because Southey's, what, 34, been around the scene for so long? I think they'd probably want a continuity of uh, a senior leader and noise, and they don't nothing's really gone wrong that they actually want to leap in a completely different direction with a different type of leadership style. So they probably looked at Kane Williamson's leadership style and Southie's leadership style and decided that's what we want to continue and maintain. Uh, is it the right call? Well, only the people involved will really know whether it's the right call or not, and they've made that decision, so you have to back uh, the professionalism and, and the people that are involved in it. Mm, proof will be in the Pakistani pudding. Uh, that tour is coming up not too far away, Logan. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, but in the meantime, here's Araha with the news. Auckland weather. Some cloud today. Periods of rain gradually easing this afternoon. High 25, low 18. Catch live commentary of the FIFA World Cup on SENZ or the SENZ app. Grab it from the App Store or you can find it on Google Play.
26 away from 11 here on SENZ Mornings Live from Flair Bar at Sky City in Auckland. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo Paul. Chris Milicic with you talking at the FIFA World Cup. Uh, France have beaten Morocco by two goals to nil. They will meet Argentina 4 o'clock Monday morning, New Zealand time in the FIFA World Cup final. Uh, Millie, we should talk about that final. France versus Argentina, based on what we've seen in the last two days, I think you'd have to say Argentina are clear favourites. If it was a 50-50 your day, Argentina are the favourites. Um, there's a lot of emotion in the Argentinian team as in doing it for a Lionel Messi. Uh, whereas I don't see the same sort of purpose in the French team. I mean, I think they could say, look, we're the first team in, since uh, Brazil did it in the late 50s, 60s to do two World Cups in a row. Uh, but uh, yeah, because Argentina, when you watch them, they're dying to give them the ball. They're dying to work. Their work rate's high. They've they've given everything they've got for a greater cause, and I think that that could be a major difference in, in the final. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, th- I think uh, Argentina are favourites for me, unless something goes horribly wrong for them. I expect them to win the final on Monday morning. Um, in terms of the French, what they, what you watch today, I mean, we talked about the fullbacks is one thing, but, I mean, where do you think Argentina can hurt them? I think Argentina can hurt them primarily through Messi. If Messi starts to play on the outside uh, channels, which he will do, um, and then the two French wider players don't tuck in to deny the middle, you're going to find Messi's going to be picking the balls up in that pocket that's between the French centre-back and the right-back and the you know, the, the centre-back and the left-back, in front of them, he's going to pick the ball up there and then he's going to go one-on-one with the centre-back. And as what happens, as we see, Messi quite likes to come to the right side, pick it up and start cutting it on his left. So you're going to ask Hernandez to chase him inside. And at any times, Messi's going to be looked to slip the ball or shoot. Now, that's going to be a huge problem because Mbappe plays in front of Hernandez, as we saw here, and he's going to have to come back and double-team Messi from the backside. Well, that necessarily is not what Mbappe wants to do or what the French team would do. And then you're asking people like Griezmann and that to take those tackles. And the one thing about Messi, he's extremely quick with his feet. He can nutmeg you, he can go round, he can slip it, he can do all sorts of things. And if he does that, and then you've got the, the, the Argentinian strikers that are now going to lock up the far centre-back. So the, the centre-back on Messi's side is going to find himself having a hell of a time unless the two wide players for France start to tuck in and deny some channels. Yeah, I mean, there was acres behind Teo Hernandez at times today, wasn't there? There was, and and you can see you alluded to it before. He's generally playing wing-back, which means you play a sort of mismatch between attack and defence, and you're higher than you should be. And he scored a goal, and it was a great goal. But the reality is against a team with, with a Lionel Messi, who, as we talked about, he walks, but he's actually scanning and he knows what's going on. The moment they get a position wrong, he's going to pop up and those things and cause a problem. A bit like what he said against Australia where the ball goes in and he's flying through and everyone's ignored him and suddenly he's got the ball and he's shooting and he scores. Argentina aren't fantastic defensively, I I would say, but they play at a higher pace than France and they've got a great engine room. Uh, they, They just don't let you rest on the ball. France won't find it as simple today. I think uh, right from the very beginning, I was a bit surprised France weren't more high pressure against Morocco. And I was a bit surprised Morocco didn't sort of do the same thing to France. And it became a bit of a cagey game, whereas I think Argentina is prepared to just say, we're going to try and win this and we're going to press you. Yep, I think that's uh, that's right. And they'll have a Cunha back as well, who was suspended for the semi-final. And I mean, you know, that he's a guy that just goes and goes and has wheels for for absolute days. So yeah, the, that Frenchman feels going to get a test. And I, uh, I mean, we saw the way that they did that to that Croatian side as yep. well, which you know, on paper's probably got the best midfield of the comp. Well, I was like a lot of people. We watched that game against Croatia, and I was a bit surprised at the ease in which Argentina basically won that game. It's not what anybody was expecting, and for a team like Croatia that are quite good in the midfield and are prepared to press and win a lot of ball in there, suddenly they couldn't win ball. And I think the one thing that Argentina have in this World Cup is I think the loss to Saudi Arabia in Game 1 scared the hell out of them. So by scaring them, they suddenly realised, a bit like Uruguay, kind of went through the World Cup just cruising, think we're going to qualify and then we'll wake up. That forced Argentina to wake up, and since then... Um, they've played it like every game's a cup final and they're trying to win and they've got themselves into this real determined, hard attitude and the amount of ball they win, the amount of ball they disrupt and the amount of pass options they're in the way of is making them probably the most dangerous side because they have an incredible cut in edge up top. It's going to be a... Uh 
I think, a, def- a, de- a defining line in, w- in world football, this World Cup, in that you'll see Luka Modric, former Ballon d'Or winner, uh, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo probably all retire internationally after this, or close to anyway. They certainly won't be at another World Cup. Uh, so that is going to be big. It's going to change the footballing landscape internationally. Well, I think it will change that in such a way in the fact that most teams would then have to become teams again. Yep. You've removed the marquee-type player that you try and wrap yourself around. And as we've seen with Portugal, Cristiano's not absolutely flying and being him as he was previously, uh, they, they can get caught, you know. And so I think we'll see more team-focused. And when you look around the world of football... I can't see many players standing, stepping up to say we're going to be in the same echelon. Probably um, Haaland at, at Man City, but he plays for a country that's not massively going to automatically achieve these things. So, yeah, when you look internationally, even the teams, you're going, who's it going to be? And maybe Mbappe, but he's got a long way to go. And so I think with the next World Cup will be more based on team functionality and who does well. And and we'll see what happens. But I think we're in for a really exciting next four to six years, to be honest, as we look for the next sort of one that a player or group of players that can dominate uh, when so many countries are getting better and stronger and faster and they're getting to the same levels. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops, mate. Hey, uh, we should talk A-League as well, mate, because the APL have made a decision to sell the next three grand finals to Sydney, and there has been massive backlash. Uh, football media in Australia uh, don't like it. They've been pretty vocal about it. Players don't like it. They've been pretty vocal about it. Fans certainly don't like it and have been pretty vocal about it. Even some of the broadcasters, people like Lucy Zelich, who's you know big in the football broadcasting scene over there, said, terrible idea. Um, APL are having a second emergency meeting in three days today, apparently. Uh, what have you made of the decision? I think the decision is based makes sense from an Australian sport point of view when you think of the NRL and the, you know so if you were sitting on the outside and you go what a great idea we'll just have it at one place and everybody comes together like the NRL has the same day and but their football in Australia and New Zealand is the only sport that's in seven states in Australia and in New Zealand yeah it's across the entire geographical mix to stick it in a Sydney. Say, say, for example, you've got uh, Wellington Phoenix and Perth in the final. Yeah. Well, there is no value there. You also remove the parochialism and the absolute sheer passion that no other sport seems to be able to generate apart from football for these great big events. So the question is, why would you not embrace that? And it's all, the timing's so weird. After Australia did so well at a World Cup and you bring something that basically changes the noise about, you know, it was about the Australian team doing really well and how we got these players in the A-League's done really well. And then the A-League's almost decided to come out with a decision like this. And, and if I'm a fan and say, you know, I decide I want to go to the the final and then I get to the final and neither team have I any affiliation because I thought we'd get there and we didn't get there. Do I go? Do I not go? Uh, you know, you're talking about interstate travel in Australia. It's big money. And to suddenly say, well, I'm going to go all the way to Sydney and, oh, my team's not here. It's it's a bit of a bit of a tough call. And really, I, I keep thinking this. Football is the biggest game in the world by miles. Like, it quadruples any other sport by by a factor of 10 and yet in this part of the world we keep making decisions based upon where we are instead of looking at the best models around the world and the best models around the world is we we end up with a final with a home team in there but even the Champions League biggest final in the world goes different cities and they tell you where it's going to be at the beginning of the year Yeah. so you know it's not like it's at the same place the whole time if you just said we're going to do one year in Sydney one year in Melbourne and one year in the Wellington people are probably going okay well that's fair for everyone because it's a it's a toss of the coin but if you end up saying come fifth or sixth as uh, Western Sydney Wanderers and you make the final and you're against Perth for example or a Melbourne team that's in, the, in Sydney you've got an advantage mm. because you're home you're comfortable and all the other bits and pieces there's a reason why home in a way in football is so so crucial and so, I, you know, and, and one thing I always remember is when it was in Adelaide and when it was in Melbourne, they are massive crowds. You would go for that crowd passion alone. I'm not sure you're going to sit in Sydney 
when nobody's got that same sort of passion and watch two teams going through the numbers. It's to me, it's just the optics are bad, the timing's bad, and how they managed it is is bad as well. Yeah, that's the thing. I think you know if they'd come out and said, "Hey, we've taken a financial hit from COVID. We're doing this to to fix that, and then after that we'll go back to normal." I would have gone, "Okay, I don't like it, but I, I get that." Get the, but they're trying to sugarcoat it and sell it to us like it's a brilliant idea, and I think that's what's stuck in the core of a lot of people. The other thing too, Chris, the top seven grand finals in A League history in terms of attendance. None of them have been in Sydney. Is that right? None of them. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that tells you something as well, I think. Even though there are five teams in New South Wales, I mean, they've only ever had three all-New South Wales finals. Oh, wow. And they've had four grand finals that have had nobody from New South Wales in them. So, I mean, you get, I mean, including last year. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you get two Melbourne teams in a grand final in Sydney. What's that going to look like? Well, that's right. And and But the facts you've just read should have been part of the decision. Yeah, 100%. You know, and I know it probably makes it easier from the organising. You've got a year to work it out and all the rest. But you know what? Those home clubs, when you get that final, they will do everything. And it doesn't matter about who makes the money. Imagine if there's a final. The Wellington Phoenix have earned the right to host the final and it's in Wellington, the place is jam-packed, full of people that would maybe not normally go. Whereas they're in a final in Sydney, and it's Sydney, whereas if you'd said, we've won the game, we're going to go to Melbourne, people would go. Yeah, Because it's built and built and built, and it just seems too pragmatic and too sensible and, and doesn't understand the passion of fans and the excitement they want to have as being part of something. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We'll talk more about that a little late, later in the show. When we come back, uh, Love Racing update with Louis Hume and Watt. Millie, thanks very much for coming in. Anytime. From Sky City, from Flair Bar in Sky City. We've been here this morning watching the yes, World Cup semi-final between France and Morocco. That game has finished. France have won two goals to nil. So it is a France-Argentina final. Uh, I believe the Breakfast Boys will be here on Monday morning. That ki- game kicks off at 4 o'clock. And uh, that is going to be a great game to watch. Mbappe versus Messi. Uh, is It's going to be France-Argentina. The current champions, uh, or the reigning champions, if you like, up against Argentina and Messi, uh, the guy that a lot of people consider to be the GOAT. Which way is it going to go? It's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens there. And uh, I think, uh, you know, having talked to Chris Milicic and having watched these two games in back-to-back days, for me, it feels very much like uh, Argentina are going to be the team to beat. I I think Argentina are the favourites going into the final for me. They've just played with a lot more energy, a lot more purpose, seem to have a lot more direction yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I mean, we we saw Argentina were just so attacking yesterday against Croatia and just being really aggressive and just trying to find any way that they can get in. But, I mean, on the other side of that, France, I mean, Morocco were probably one of the better defending teams of this World Cup and, I mean, very spirited, spirited in their defence and what they did during this tournament. But France found ways to get through them. There were some really cheeky-looking through balls. And, I mean, if they can find ways like that against Argentina, I think they can push them as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a fair comment. Uh, we're just waiting to get hold of uh, Louis Herman Watt for our Love Racing update. Uh, so we will ho- hopefully uh, hear from him shortly. The Love Racing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And racing's biggest fan, Louis Herman Watt, joins us. Louis, uh, you left at half-time, mate. You missed all the excitement. What's going on? Yeah, yeah no, caught the rest of it, mate. Just wanted to get out of the uh, out of the zone and, and try and have a look at some thoroughbreds, mate, because Ash Burden today is racing on a good track. Apparently the weather's good down south, so I'm very jealous. And I'm kind of waiting for the last race to have a bit. Race 10, number 6, boot it, Scooter. I thought it was actually... Really tidy last start at Rickerton over the 1400 in the same grade. Um, a good four. Tina Komanyagi six on the ride. Good barrier. Lance Robinson's team is always good fit horses when they get to the races. And that's exactly what this horse is. So from barrier two, boot it, scooter in the last at Cash Burden today would be my play. Tomorrow, there are Otaki for a very bulky. Call anytime. 0800 150 811. Big moments from the world of sport. SCNZ Radio.NZ. Auckland weather. 
Some cloud today, periods of rain gradually easing this afternoon. High 25, low 18. Catch live commentary of the FIFA World Cup on SENZ or the SENZ app. Grab it from the App Store or you can find it on Google Play. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A little bit of stepping, one-headed carry, Manu is with the ball, he is some player, Joey Manu back to Dylan Brown. This is the sort of play they got going in the first half, and Aliera's pulled them up, chip over the top, it's Manu again, he's got the ball back again, Joey Manu, stop the fight! What a play, Joseph Manu! Joey Manu, he has been crowned alongside Racine McGregor Player of the Year for New Zealand Rugby League for 2022. Joining us to talk about this and a few other things is Kiwi number 686, the General Manager for High Performance now for New Zealand Rugby League, Motu Tony. Uh, G'day Motu, how are you? Tarofa, very well, thank you. Uh, you know, getting into that festive spirit, so uh, looking forward to hopefully better weather and, uh, and a good summer. Have you done all your shopping yet, mate? Oh, no, no. I, I'm a last-minute shopper, so uh, it'll be next week sometime. <laughs> next week some. <laughs> Everyone's getting vouchers, mate. Everyone's getting vouchers. Nice and easy. Hey, um, I don't know what Joey Manu and Racing McGregor got for their uh, Player of the Year awards, mate, but outstanding seasons from uh, from both of them. Let's let's start with Joey, though, because uh, what a World Cup he had, mate. It was just a pity that we were on the same side of the draw as the Kangaroos because what a final that could have been. Yeah, Joey. Um, you know, we took a, a younger version of Joey Manu to the to the UK UK in uh, 2018, and uh, you know the signs were there. Uh, the signs were there, and then you know since 2018, you know he's won a couple of premierships. He's you know he was named Bellium, um, you know this year um, centre, and you know he's just just built off what you know we saw in 2018, and moving him. Uh, into the fullback was was a masterstroke from Michael Maguire, which he did against uh, Tonga in the mid-year test, and you know he ran for over 400 meters. So he's definitely um, he's definitely on his way, you know, to becoming you know not just one of the the great rugby league players, but obviously I think one of the the great Kiwis. So very lucky to have him in our side, and very proud took it all, boy. And uh, comes from a wonderful family, and he's. He's a good man himself, so um, you know it's it's great to see Joey get the the recognition he's been getting. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Couldn't agree with you more. Ed. And he, he, I mean, that game against Tonga that you talked about, I, w- I was doing sideline commentary for that, and uh, just being on the sideline and watching him play and watching what he did when we didn't have the ball, what we did when we do did have the ball. I, I know he had a number one on his back, but it, at times, particularly when we had Tonga under the cosh, he was playing like he was a number six. Yeah, and that's how he is. You know, he could play. Um, you know, he could play anywhere in that backline. Really, maybe you know half. Um, but you wouldn't write it off against Joe because he's that skilled, and um, he's not a bad basketballer too. So, um, but the thing he, he showed us at Tonga is that he uh, he has he acts like another forward when you're coming out of your you know your yardage, and then in football he's another playmaker. So he he does it all, and he's. Um, you know, he's got size and he's strong, so he's he's the complete package, Johnny. Yeah, I, I see the Breakers are making an announcement at twelve thirty today, Motu. What you said about him there being that big, you know, what's he doing in his off season? Is he a guest stint for the Breakers? You reckon maybe? <laughs> well, he could he could probably do it, Joey. Uh, so, you know, he's um, he's obviously he's not a not a bad uh, rugby league player, but he's also pretty handy in the gaming and, and basketball. So he's one of those guys that. Uh, I know a lot of his teammates, you know, they get a little bit frustrated because uh, the Kiwis, because uh, anything that he sort of touches, you know, he's pretty good at. So, uh, yeah, he's a talented guy, Joe, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I've known guys like that. Everything they touch just turns to gold, no matter what it is. Uh, in terms of, I mean, he's still only a young guy, you know, and, and we talked about him, you know, looking like he could he could almost play six at times or, or, or whatever. He's played, obviously, on the wing. Uh, he's, he's played centres. Where, where do you think his best position is? And, you know, as he gets older... Do you think he could transition into maybe like a ball playing thirteen? What do you What do you reckon? Well, I think um, you know he, he can't play in his preferred or his best position because you know they've got another world class player there, James Tedesco. But you know the fullback he um, allows him just to get his hands on the ball more, you know, and um, 
you know, who knows, you know, going forward, you know, when if father time catches up with everyone, you know, he could easily slot into that, that six role and, and, and do a pretty good job there as well. We should talk uh, racing McGregor, of course, as well. Kiwi Fern, number 140. Uh, fantastic season for her as well, man. We've got some talented players coming through in the women's program, uh, mate. And, you know, with the growth of NRLW, get another two teams added this year. Hopefully we see more of those Kiwi Ferns um, getting pro deals. But uh, racing McGregor, just how good is she? Yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, she's a wonderful player, racing And... Um, you know, it's usually, you know, when you think of the best players in the world or especially in the house, um, you know, you, you think of the Australians, but we're so lucky that, uh, you know, the best half in the world and the best player in the world um, is, is a New Zealander. So she's a wonderful player. She had a wonderful season in the uh, NRLW and, you know, that's why she got, you know, the Daddy M Award and also the Golden Boots. So she's a real, you know, she's a competitor. Um, you know, she's tough. Um, she comes up with the right plays at the right time. So, uh, and I think with Racine, uh, she's been around a little while. So, but she's still quite young. But I think we've only, or she's only just um, scratched the surface with how good she can get. Yeah, mate. I, I, I mean, once again, I less so than the, uh, or sorry, more so, I should say, than the men's side of the draw. That women's side of the draw at the Rugby League World Cup felt it felt like maybe the. Uh, the hosts had something to do with that because I couldn't believe uh, when I saw those groups. But uh, I mean that that the way that the Kiwi Ferns and the uh, and the Kangaroos, uh, sorry, the Jillaroos went at each other was superb. That would have been a great final as well. And you know she would have been right at home there, Racine. Yeah, no, Racine. Um, you know she she was instrumental in the Kiwi Ferns. You know getting to the uh, the World Cup final, and you know she had a, a pretty um, lethal edge with uh, Amber Paris Hall and Mele Hofanga. So she had some weapons there, but. You know the way she orchestrates that Kiwi Ferns team, but also her club team. You know she's the, you know she's the the maestro, and um, you know she's she's one of those players that you, uh, you when you when you come up against her, you know that you're going to be in for a tough day because she, you know, when you want to be a little bit lazy, she'll find you with a ball or a pass, or she'll find you with a running game. So you know she's a wonderful talent, and I'm glad she wears that Kiwi Ferns jumper of ours. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the future's in really good hands as well. You know, when you look at, uh, I think, uh, what's the Kiwi Ferns rookie there, Brianna Clark, who plays out of the Brisbane Broncos, you know, can, can uh, be a ball-playing second rower, can also be an offloading prop. She's got a lot to her game too, and, uh, and good to see her get rewarded. Yeah, she was a real find for us this year. So, uh, you know, she... You know, she turned down an opportunity to, to, you know, be considered for Queensland and Australia going forward to, you know, represent her Kiwi heritage. And what a find she was. You know, she was, you know, like you say, she's, you know, ball playing forward. Uh, she kicked goals, but she was tough and aggressive, you know. So, and she had something, you know, different alongside our other props like Aneta Nuasala. Um, so she was really good for us because she gave us a, a different dimension in the middle of the field. Yeah, it looks like it's in good hands, the Kiwi Ferns going forward, mate. We should talk uh, also about some of your other award winners. Uh, and two guys, I mean, uh, Dylan Brown, it, it cracked me up when I saw Dylan Brown win Rookie of the Year just because I was like, man, I know he's only 22, but it feels like he's been around forever. I agree with you. Uh, Dylan Brown, you know, he's, he's he turned 22 when we were in camp for the Tonga Test earlier this year. He turned 22, but he feels like, like you say, he's been around for forever and he's He's also pushing 100 NRL games, so he's he's been a sort of like a, a quiet achiever. But uh, this year was a was a breakout year for him. Um, you know, he got to find out what what it takes to, to play for your country. But you know, the Parramatta team, uh, you know, went pretty close in the NRL this year. So you know, we're very much like racing. You know, we we believe that uh, Dylan's just going to get better, and he's only scratching the surface of his sort of potential as well. Yeah, he is. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens at, at Para actually going forward because there's some talk that they have to let either Dylan or Mitchell Moses go uh, in terms of salary cap and what they're doing there. But uh, they're such a good team together, aren't they? Motu, you'd be, you know, I mean, they've already let uh, Reid Marnie go. You wouldn't want to let the, that combination uh, break up. No, no, you don't. And, um, you know, if you look at the, the halves market in the, in the NRL, there's not a lot... Uh, available you know so when you get the opportunity to have them at your club you've got to lock them up and and i think that's what makes it real interesting with the salary cap that uh 
know, there might be some some other talent at Parramatta that, that have to to make way to keep these two guys because they're both you know superstars in their own right. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, mate. And uh, you know, geez, you talk about salary cap. I'm not sure how the dogs are getting all their recruits under their cap at the moment. Maybe they've hired the old Melbourne Storm accountant, but we should uh, probably park that. Uh, what about uh, Ronaldo Mulitalo? Uh, he's won Kiwi's Young Player of the Year. Absolute try machine. He's such a fantastic winger. And not only did he, uh, you know, follow up a great season with Cronulla, but he was devastating. He was the winger. I think, you know, you put him up against Josh Adokar and you say he's probably the winger of the World Cup. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Ronaldo, he's, um, he is, you know, I spent some time in the camp with the Kiwis and the Kiwi fans, and Ronaldo's one of those players that, uh, now, in our time, um, you know, early 2000s, he'll be very similar in his uh, his makeup and his off-field humour, you know, to Wendell Saylor in, in terms of, you know, he talks the talk but also walks the walk. So he was a wonderful, you know, um, guy to have in camp. And like you say, he just performed, um, you know, and that started when he, he made his, his debut for us in, in June against Tonga. So, you know, one of those guys that he's... Um, He's an energizer, picks up, you know, his team. And uh, when there's competition, he's always, he considers himself, you know, one of the best at everything in the, uh, whenever the Kiwis did anything team-wise, you know, table tennis or any other sport, basketball included. But uh, he's not as good as Joey Manu, but he had a fantastic year himself when not. Yeah, he did, mate. He did, and, and now you know the way the things have gone for the one that was at Manchester United. We can we can refer to him as the good Ronaldo now. He doesn't have to live in the shadow anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've got our own Ronaldo in rugby league, so I think he's yeah he's made it a name for himself. Yeah, 100%, man. Hey, Motu, uh, in, in your role as the general manager for high performance, um, I look at our local competition and I look at the way things are changing at the Warriors in terms of the you know the development teams. Um, is there going to be much change from our, you know, sort of our domestic national comp um, uh, and, and how you work in with the Warriors and those development teams they have? Yeah, there'll be you know um, there'll be more opportunities for our young our young men, uh, young men you know now that the Warriors are looking to to have a um, an SG ball team and also a reserve grade side which which uh, wasn't in place the last couple of years so there'll be more opportunities for our, our local young men but also um, you know we've at New Zealand Rugby League we've opened up a lot more opportunities uh, for our youth participants in the 16s and 18s age group um, and also in the 20s um, you know we ran the inaugural Ruben Wiki under 20s national competition last year and um, we had our national youth tournaments for our under 16s and under 18s girls this year which is the first time that was ever um, sort of offered but our, our first uh, Offering at a national level will be the the national nines that will see teams from around you know New Zealand come up to Auckland to you know compete for the, the best nines team in the country. So we're looking forward to that, and that will be held in April. Yeah, are we going to be able to see that on TV? Are you got Sky on that or or Spark? Yeah, uh, you know Sky's been a fantastic supporter of ours, so you know you'll see you know some of the uh, games that I'm talking about um, on Sky or live stream. Which would be fantastic, mate, because I, I love those nines tournaments. When we had the NRL nines here, uh, it was always a great uh, couple of days out. Uh, and it's, it's such a good uh, advert for the game, I think, nines, because it, it rewards those up-and-coming Joey Manus and uh, Ronaldo Molitanos um, because, you know, there's just that much more space out there and, and we get to see some real flo- uh, free-flowing, skillful rugby league. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that's real pleasing for us when we held it uh, you know, for the first time this year was that you've got um, participants from around the country, like South Island and Otago. So, you know, you usually get the Stronghold Rugby League, you know, districts of, you know, Auckland, uh, Christchurch, Canterbury, Wellington. But, you know, we had participants coming from some of those other areas that they you don't usually associate rugby league with. So, you know, that was real pleasing. And like you say, it's a, it's a festive-type atmosphere and, you know, it's normally a good weather early part of the year. So... It makes for a, a really good rugby league there. Yeah, massive, mate, massive. Hey, the other thing, uh, I noticed that the Warriors have partnered with Pacifica Aotearoa Collective um, towards having a stronger Pacifica voice uh, throughout the teams and, and creating more pathways as well. 
but we still lose a lot of youth, you know, at that sort of developmental age of sort of 17, 16, 17, 18 to Australian clubs and, and their school setups, and they bring them through. Do you think, uh, you know, we're talking at the moment about this potential uh, expansion in the A-League, and I know that the NRL are talking about adding another team, and the question is where it's going to be. Do you think New Zealand is ready for a second NRL team, and do you think we've got the pathways there that, uh, that would allow that? I think we're, we're working to it, you know, I don't think we're, we're quite there yet, but, it, you know, it, was, it can get there. It just need a lot of work and, you know, coming back to the question around the Warriors and unfortunately the Warriors, you know, won't be able to keep, you know, every sort of talented rugby league player that's coming through. But hopefully, you know, if they, through the relationships that you just mentioned with the um, Pacific Aotearoa Collective and other organisations, they'll be able to you know, to keep the kids uh, in New Zealand that they wanna they wanna keep because you know you're not gonna keep them all unfortunately because you know there's only limited spaces at their club, but also some people you know need to to get away from from New Zealand so they can you know mature and, and have a different rugby league education as we've discussed like you know Joey Manu come from Tokoroa and Dylan Brown who come from up north up in the Northland region so. There's going to be some young players that uh, they won't be able to hold, but if they can keep the ones they want to keep, then you know I think they're in they're in good stead. Yeah, indeed. All right, mate. Um, uh, Motu, I know, I know it's a bit of a theoretical, but I have had this conversation with a few people. If New Zealand was going to have a second NRL team. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Canterbury, uh, the Canterbury region. There's been talk about Wellington's got strong rugby league uh, heritage, and so has sort of the the Waikato region. Um, where do you think it would be the uh, the most uh, beneficial place to have a second team out of New Zealand if we were going to do it? Yeah, I, I think it'll have to be. Um, you know, I think it might have to be. You know, Christchurch have got some strong you know rugby league history. They've also got a you know strong sort of brand in the. Um, you know, the Crusaders, which people might consider, you know, as competition, but I think there's, you know, there's learning and there's a knowledge share there because, you know, the rugby league and rugby union organisations, there's a lot of sharing of knowledge and, you know, collaboration. So you'd have to think it'll be, you know, somewhere, you know, down south to capture that strong rugby league supporter base down there. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, uh, Kempe, uh who does our breakfast show with Izzy and Kempe, he's, uh, he's a big proponent of the Southern Bears, owned by the Crusaders, but with uh, Tony Kemp as general manager, what do you reckon? Oh, OK. Well, the general managers, uh, you know, that's a job that a lot of the uh, NRL clubs, uh, you know, can't find people for. You know, it's a, it's a tough job in this market where, you know, the talent is... Um, it's not what it was, and uh, you know the results are quite visible if you miss out on players. So who knows, you know? Who knows? Who knows? You don't want to miss out on Kempi, do you, Motu? <laughs> oh, Kempi! Yeah, I had him as a coach at the at the Warriors. So uh, and, you know he's a former Kiwi himself, isn't he? Yeah, mate, 100%, 100%. He loves his rugby league. Hey, uh, Motu, thanks very much for coming on today and, and having a chat, and, and congratulations on it. It's been a great year for New Zealand rugby league. Onward and upward next year, eh, mate? Looking forward to uh, the kick-off, kick-off of all our, our local comps, that Nines tournament in the NRL again, too. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I look forward to chatting again. Yeah, would do, mate. Uh, love chatting rugby league with you, Motu. Tony, go well. Have a great Christmas, my friend. Here we go, Motu Tony, the uh, New Zealand Rugby League General Manager of Football and High Performance, talking those New Zealand Rugby League awards. It is 11.22 here on SENZ. Double eight, double three. Double eight, double three. That is our temper bed post text machine. Yeah, drop us a line there. What do you think? Um, where would you put another NRL franchise in New Zealand? Which city would make the most sense? And also, we've had that news, the big news, that Kane Williamson has stepped down as test captain. Tim Southey is taking the lead. That the right move, do you think? What's your take on that news? Double eight, double three. The Temper Bed Post text machine will be back with your text next. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime. 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
Yeah, SENZ mornings. We are live from Flair Bar at Sky City. Uh, coming up, stumped not too far away. Uh, we have had a, uh, a text through on double eight double three about the captain or former test captain, should we say, uh, Kane Williamson Logan. Uh, the uh, people basically think he's chasing the money. Yep. I think that's what the agreement that we all came to as well, isn't it? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. He pretty much chasing the money, Kane Williamson. But we should hear from the man himself. Yes, I believe so. It's sort of been an ongoing discussion, not specifically formats, but workload, um, wanting to keep making sure and putting uh, my energy in, in the right places. And with um, major events um, next year, it kind of transpired the, the way it has. And, and so we've sort of made that decision. And um, very fortunate within the environment to have so many other great leaders and really exciting to, to see Tim take over the, the test team and looking forward to supporting him. You talk about the work workload. How much extra, especially off-field stuff, comes with that role of being test captain? Like, what's Tim in for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I mean, it does come with, um, you know, a lot of added work and, and responsibilities and um like Tim mentioned, it is a privilege and an honour, um, but a challenge as well. And um, and you are well supported, and I have been over the years. But um, I think when you do do it for a long period of time, um, with so much cricket on, that um, the the volume and the nature of it, that I think it is a really nice opportunity to to share that. And Tim's been a big part of the the leadership of this environment for a while, and and so he's um, largely aware of um, some of those added parts to to the role that he's um taking over so uh yeah it's it's exciting um and a, a great opportunity and like i say looking forward to to working alongside to me mm, it's an interesting one that he's uh, he's gone i mean i think a lot of people felt the same way we talked about it earlier this morning uh that we feel like his best option is actually to stay on and test and give up the t20s but i guess t20 is where the money is um, and I did see that uh, David White's also said he was asked about it at the press conference that splitting the coaching setup at the Black Caps might happen in the future yeah that's one thing that's been floated around I mean I know Smithy is a really big fan of that uh, I'd be curious to get Smithy's thought, uh, thoughts at some point on Kane Williamson's uh, decision because I, th I think like a lot of us Test cricket was where it was at for Kane. That's what he's known for. That's probably the best format of the game for him. 100%. But, yeah, I mean, come on, let's be honest. He's T20 where it is where the money is. But look what happened in the IPL, right? Like, here he, uh, his contract got done uh, because he's not worth the money that he was being paid. Yeah. So, unless he has some really quick turn of form, and I don't think they're playing T20s anytime soon, um, <laughs> I don't know where he's going to find the value. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's kissed goodbye a lot of coin at, uh, at Sunrise's Hyderabad, and he's back in the pot. He could get picked up, will he? Oh, that's another question at IPL level. I, I, you know, honestly, I don't think it's too far away from him turning down a centralised contract and uh, and just being a, uh, you know, a floating player playing CPL, playing the hundred, playing all that sort of stuff. But we will see. We will see. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. That is our phone number. We are going to be playing stumped very soon. And if you want to win yourself. What are, what are we up to on Stumped, Logan? Uh, well, yesterday, Zade won. Oh, that's right. So it's 50, so it's back to a 50. Back to 50, yeah. Back to 50. $50 TAB bonus bet could be yours. 0800 150 Here's the latest in news and sport. Auckland weather. Some cloud today. Periods of rain gradually easing this afternoon. High 25, low 18. Catch live commentary of the FIFA World Cup on SENZ or the SENZ app. Grab it from the App Store or you can find it on Google Play. It's 25 away from midday here on SENZ Live from Flair Bar at Sky City. And uh, Logan, uh, before we get to Stumped, uh, you've had a couple of texts come through on the Temper Bed Post text machine, double eight, double three. Yeah, this is a great one that's coming here from Mark. Are you sure Kane didn't have a checkbox style press statement and he accidentally clicked test match but was trying to click T20 and went, oops. 
<laughs> I love that from you, mate. That's really good. And then a uh, big one here from Craig. Hi, Ricardo. On the league, I think Christchurch makes the most sense, especially when they have the new stadium, although I don't think it will happen. And on the cricket, I don't mind Kane standing down as captain, but I'm not a fan of Salvi as captain. Not a fan of any bowler. I think they have enough going on. Latham, for me, would be a better choice, provided he's not keeping. Both keepers and bowlers have been have enough without being the captain. Yeah, well, that's fair. Uh, and to be fair to uh, to that texture too, uh, Latham hasn't been keeping in, uh, in tests as much. He's just been opening bat, right? So mm. uh, we've always had another keeper there. So, yeah, that would take that uh, off his plate. All right, shall we uh, get into Stump and give away this $50 TAB bonus bet or try not to give it away, as the case may be? Yeah, let's get into it. Bring it on. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ricardo Ball stepping in place of uh, Ian Smith. Well, he is off. We're here at uh, Flair Bar in Sky City, Auckland. Of course, if you want to get in on the final for the FIFA World Cup, that's at 4 a.m. on Monday. They still have seating. Reserve your seats, but they are filling up fast here at Flair Bar. Register now and go into the draw to win a VIP package with food and beverage vouchers for the day. Just go to skycityauckland.co.nz forward slash what's on. That's what's on here. What's on here is a $50 TAB bonus bet to give away. First at the crease, we've got Kenny from Canterbury. Come in, mate. G'day, mate. How's it going? Yeah, good. How are you doing, mate? Pretty good, thanks. Nice. What What are your strengths on, on the sport if you had to choose a topic? Or potentially cricket or hockey. Hockey. Oh. Uh, do you mean the grass variety or the ice variety? <laughs> uh, the grass. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm, with I'm you. very quickly typing up Black Six questions right now. <laughs> uh, all right. No, these are the categories we have to choose from for you today, Kenny. The A-League, ice hockey, or cricket? <laughs> cricket, please. <laughs> All right, first question for you, Kenny. It's been just over a year since AJS Patel's famous 10-foot innings. Which country did he take those 10 wickets against? India. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. I hope he gets picked again. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, if he doesn't get picked, then he might as well retire. Yeah, well, we'll find that on less than an hour. And, of course, uh, Staffy, afternoons with staff, we'll uh, have a bit more on that later. Second question for you, Kenny. With Kane Williamson stepping down as the Black Caps test captain, how many tests did he lead New Zealand for? Ooh. Uh, they took over from theirs. Clock is ticking. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not 42, it's over to Ricardo. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I know it's less than that, but I'm going to say 34. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Kenny was closer. The answer I was looking for was 40. He won 22, lost 10, and drew 8. Close, but no cigar. Close, yep. That's what they say. All right, last question for you, Kenny. $50 TAB bonus bet on the line here. Let's see how you are with your history. Tim Sally becomes just the second specialist pace bowler to be officially appointed as the New Zealand Test Captain. Who was the first? The first pace bowler for New, uh, to be New Zealand Captain. Is mm -hmm. that right? Test Captain, yeah. Have I heard that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say the obvious one, but there might be one before that. Um, <laughs> I will say this is a hard one to Google. <laughs> I'm going to say Dick Mark. One of the worst things I have ever Ooh. seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo. Well, the obvious one I, I assume you were, you're mentioning, uh, you're, you're alluding to, would would be Richard Hadley, but I don't think it was him. But was it his brother? Was it Dale? One of the worst things 
I have ever seen done on a cricket field. All right, guys, you're going to have to wind back the clock a lot to 1955 Harry Cave to the tour of Pakistan and India. Wow. Yep, nah, no idea. Last time wow. I, heard, uh, yeah. I saw him, he was missing penalties for England at the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kenny, you know what that means, though, mate. You win the $50 TAB bonus bet because that is the rules of Stumped. Yeah, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, well done, mate. Fantastic. $50, where are you going to chuck it? Cheers, Ricardo. Uh, no worries, I think mate. I'm definitely going to have to crack. I'll have to have a crack at either the Phoenix or the World Cup, see what sort of boosted options there are out there. Yeah, yeah, go have a look, mate. Have a look. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, the third, fourth playoff game, there's usually goals in, so maybe look at more than, you know, sort of three, three and a half goals, something like that. Well, I missed out on the boosted one for um, Argentina winning and Messi scoring and then France winning and Mbappe scoring, but um, that, that's not so good. You did, yeah. You did well to miss that one. To be fair, there's a few boys around the office got on it, but there you go. Hey, well done, mate. Good luck, and uh, hopefully that bonus bet fills the beer fridge for you. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks, Ricardo. No worries, mate. Go well. It is 18 away from midday here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith live from Flair Bar. Keep your texts rolling through. Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. Let us know uh, about the Kane Williamson captaincy. Uh, do you agree with it? Do you not agree with it? Who do you think should be test captain if it's not going to be him? We'll talk more about that and talk more about the Phoenix coming up after this.